Environment Today is a podcast about the current state of our planet's environment and ways to contribute to the health and prosperity of our ecosystem. Content presented by Amy and James Sharp. I'm James Sharp. And I'm Amy Sharp. All information being discussed today is from the report titled Global Warming of 1.5 Degrees Celsius, an IPCC special report on the impacts of global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and related global greenhouse gas emission pathways in the context of strengthening the global response to the threat of climate change, sustainable development, and efforts to eradicate poverty. Environment Today's podcast will bring this and other reports to you every two weeks, putting these details into layman's terms as much as possible. You will receive a great deal more information than you would hear or read in short blurbs of daily news briefings. We want to bring you all the key facts in detail and then provide real-life solutions that you can implement after hearing the facts of each report. In this report, more than 6,000 scientific references have been cited, 91 authors from the scientific community, and review editors from 40 countries prepared this IPCC report in response to an invitation from the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC, when it adopted the Paris Agreement in 2015. This is the first special report from a series that will be created by the IPCC and was released October 8, 2018. The IPCC is an intergovernmental panel on climate change that is part of the United Nations body and is solely tasked with assessing the science related to climate change. This week's podcast will be covering Chapter 2 as a continuation of this IPCC special report series, that has one major goal and theme throughout this report, to keep global warming from increasing by one and a half degrees Celsius from the pre-industrial levels that we saw in years 1850 to 1900. In this podcast, we will better understand the role of CO2 and non-CO2 emissions. We will specifically look at mitigation plans that can be used to keep us from reaching the critical warming level of one and a half degrees Celsius. We will also look at the implications of making the transitions to better energy and land usage choices, and if countries that are part of the Paris Agreement implement these transitions at a pace that will keep us below critical warming levels. Carbon dioxide and its effects, as well as carbon-reducing plans, will be the majority of our topic of discussion today. However, let's start with non-CO2 emissions, which also play a large role in greenhouse gases and global warming. Non-CO2 emissions also play a role in climate change, and these include methane, nitrous oxide, and fluorinated greenhouse gases. Fact. Unlike many other greenhouse gases, fluorinated gases have no natural sources and only come from human-related activities. They are emitted through a variety of industrial processes, such as aluminum and semiconductor manufacturing. 
non-CO2 climate-changing gases exhibit a greater geographical variation than CO2 in the role that they play in global warming and radiation, which leads to important uncertainties in the temperature response. There are differences in the expected outcomes of global warming mitigation plans that arise from the uncertainty of the impact of non-CO2 climate emissions. The remainder of the content that we will talk about in this podcast and the success or failure of these plans can also be directly affected by non-CO2 emissions and their overall contribution to greenhouse gases. Now, let's talk about working towards the goals of achieving our goal to keep global warming from increasing by 1.5 degrees Celsius from the pre-industrial levels. Countries that formally accept or ratify the Paris Agreement submit pledges for how they intend to address climate change. Unique to each country, these pledges are known as Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs, and are part of the mitigation plans that can keep on track to meet our goal. What are some of the NDCs that countries have committed to? NDCs that have been committed to that can reduce emissions include, for example, electrifying our transportation system in place of fossil fuels. Electrification is a powerful measure to decarbonize short-distance vehicles, utilizing electric and hybrid electric vehicles whenever possible. And if the use of electricity is not an option for certain types of transport, such as shipping or aviation, transitioning to the use of biofuels or hydrogen instead. Transport accounted for 28% of global final energy demand and 23% of global energy-related CO2 emissions in 2014. Emissions increased by 2.5% annually between 2010 and 2015. And over the past half-century, the sector has witnessed faster emissions growth than any other. The transport sector is the least diversified energy end-use sector, with 92% of transport final energy demand consisting of oil products, suggesting major challenges for deep decarbonization. Reducing the carbon footprint of the food we consume. Reducing food waste. Changing to a plant-based diet utilizing meat substitutes and substantially reducing meat consumption. By lowering consumption of livestock products by 2050, we could substantially reduce deforestation and greenhouse gases. Phasing out fossil fuels such as coal, oil, and natural gas in the energy sector, with a large fraction of this use combined with carbon capture and storage, or CCS, systems. Increasing the amount of energy produced from renewable sources so that by 2050, renewables, including bioenergy, hydro, wind, and solar supply, are over 50% of primary energy sources. Introducing new sustainability-oriented, low-carbon industrial processes, 
such as improved steelmaking and cement manufacturing techniques. Material industries are particularly energy and emissions intensive. Together, the steel, non-ferrous metals, chemicals, non-metallic minerals, and pulp and paper industries accounted for close to 66% of final energy demand and 72% of direct industry sector emissions in 2014. Making a marked shift in investment patterns with total energy-related investments in the supply side requiring increases of about 12%. Average annual investment in low-carbon energy technologies and energy efficiency are upscaled significantly by 2050 compared to 2015, overtaking fossil investments globally by around 2025. These actions are examples of supply-side actions. Broadly speaking, these are actions that can reduce greenhouse gas emissions through the use of low-carbon solutions. Here are some clarifying definitions of things we've covered. What is bioenergy? Bioenergy can be used in various parts of the energy sector, including for electricity, liquid fuel, biogas, and hydrogen production. It is this flexibility that makes bioenergy and bioenergy technologies valuable for the decarbonization of energy use. Bioenergy is supplied mostly from second-generation biomass feedstocks, such as dedicated crops, as well as agricultural and forest residues. What is carbon capture and storage? Carbon capture and storage, CCS, is the process of capturing waste carbon dioxide, CO2, from large point sources, such as fossil fuel power plants, transporting it to a storage site, and depositing it where it will not enter the atmosphere, normally an underground geological formation. The aim is to prevent the release of large quantities of CO2 into the atmosphere from fossil fuel use and power generation and in other industries. CCS plays a major role in decarbonizing the industry sector. A different type of action, known as demand-side actions, can reduce how much energy human society uses while still ensuring increasing levels of development and well-being. This category includes improving energy efficiency in buildings. In 2014, the building sector accounted for 31% of total global final energy use, 54% of final electricity demand. When upstream electricity generation is taken into account, buildings were responsible for 23% of global energy-related CO2 emissions, with one-third of those from direct fossil fuel consumption. Effective urban planning, which can reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the way buildings are built, to the urban transportation methods made available. 
reducing consumption of energy and greenhouse gas intensive products through behavioral and lifestyle changes. Meeting all demand side actions requires changes in land use, as well as in agricultural and forestry practices. Mitigation measures that demands land mainly occurs at the expense of agricultural land for food and feed production. Reducing rates of deforestation restricts agricultural expansion as well. These land use restrictions can lead to reductions in grazing lands to accommodate food and feed productions. Creating policies reflecting a high price on emissions. Carbon pricing can be imposed directly or implicitly by regulatory policies. By leading to lower overall energy demand, effective demand-side measures could allow for greater flexibility in how we structure our energy system. However, demand-side measures are not easy to implement and barriers have prevented the most efficient practices from being used in the past. In comparison to taking measures to prevent a two degrees Celsius limit in temperature rise, the transformations required to limit warming to one and a half degrees Celsius are qualitatively similar, but more pronounced and rapid over the next decades. One and a half degrees Celsius implies very ambitious internationally cooperative policy environments that transform both supply and demand. Demand and supply side measures are not an either or question. They work in parallel with each other, but emphasis can be given to one or the other. So are we on track with the NDCs that countries have committed to? Different groups of researchers around the world have analyzed the combined effect of adding up all the NDCs. Such analysis shows that current pledges are not on track to limit global warming to one and a half degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. If current pledges for 2030 are achieved, but no more, researchers find very few, if any, ways to reduce emissions after 2030 sufficiently quickly to limit warming to one and a half degrees Celsius. This in turn suggests that with the national pledges as they stand, warming would exceed one and a half degrees Celsius at least for a period of time, and practices and technologies that remove CO2 from the atmosphere at a global scale would be required to return warming to one and a half degrees Celsius at a later date. Making changes in one sector can have consequences for another, as they are not independent of each other. In other words, the choices that we make now as a society in one sector can either restrict or expand our options later on. For example, a high demand for energy could mean we would need to deploy almost all known options to reduce emissions in order to limit global temperature rise to one and a half degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, with the potential for adverse side effects. In particular, going down the path of high energy demand would increase our reliance on practices and technologies that remove CO2 from the atmosphere. 
As of yet, such techniques have not proven to work on a large scale, and depending on how they are implemented, could compete for land and water. What happens if we do meet our goal versus not meeting it? A world that is consistent with holding warming to one and a half degrees Celsius would see greenhouse gas emissions rapidly decline in the coming decade, with strong international cooperation and a scaling up of countries' combined ambition to go above and beyond current NDCs that have been committed to. The implication of meeting and exceeding these commitments will lead to net zero emissions. With net zero emissions, the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere would slowly decline over time until a new equilibrium is reached. As CO2 emissions from human activity are redistributed and taken up by the oceans and the land biosphere, this would lead to a near constant global temperature over many centuries. In contrast, Warming will not be limited to 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2 degrees Celsius unless transformations in a number of areas achieve the required greenhouse gas emissions reductions. Emissions would need to decline rapidly across all of society's main sectors, including buildings, industry, transport, energy, agriculture, forestry, and other land use. Countries would need to achieve net zero CO2 emissions in less than 15 years. Delayed action at the local, regional, or country level, limited international cooperation, and weaker fragmented policies that lead to stagnating or increasing greenhouse gas emissions would put the possibility of limiting global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels out of reach. What is one thing that I can do today to make a difference? As you've heard, transportation is one of the largest hurdles that we face to changing to non-carbon emitting uses. If you missed our first podcast that discusses changing to hybrid vehicle technology, It's worth mentioning again, and feel free to revisit that podcast on some great perks for making the change. Another contributor that we also heard about today are the emissions that come from energy usage by buildings. It doesn't matter if we are talking about the buildings we go to work in or the one we live in at home. Changing to more energy-efficient practices will go a long way in reducing emissions. Heading to your local Costco or home improvement store will be a great place to find energy-efficient LED light bulbs. I switched my house to all LED lights throughout and saw an immediate savings in my monthly electric bills. In addition to the energy savings, LED lights also last up to five times longer than an incandescent bulb, which is another way to save. LED pricing has come down dramatically over recent years. However, you will recoup any cost for these bulbs quickly by other savings just mentioned. This is a change that you can make today. Thank you for listening to our Environment Today podcast. 
and we hope you found the information from Chapter 2 of the IPCC report useful. I hope you join me in two weeks for our next podcast. We look forward to sharing more then on the environment today.